You may have heard me speaking with my mom and my brother about Purple.com. I have partnered with Purple.com to give you some information about it. I think a lot of you know that I love purple, like that Austin Powers character loves gold. I love purple. All my shoes are purple. Company's logo is purple. I think I've gotten across the point that I love purple, right? Is that is that something? Okay, so because I love purple, I love the idea that this company was called purple. So I checked it out. And uh, lo and behold, it's very much aligned with my interests because it's all about sleeping and falling asleep. <laughs> and I really enjoy doing both. I just have trouble doing both. Does anybody else relate to that? I have that. I've always had that. And over the years, it's been for different reasons. But the most recent, the last five years, has been ideas that I can't stop thinking about. I can't let it rest. I can't let it go to get that rest. I'm so excited about the next morning or what we're working on next at my company or that f- our fund. It's just like Christmas Eve every single day. I also have just old-fashioned stress. I think we do. I'm, we're grown. You're grown, right? Some of you are grown. And you have all kinds of things that you think about. And, and I've taken you know, all these sleeping medicine. I've taken prescription and non-prescription. I've done all these different things. And, and what is best for you is what you and your doctor, uh, your medical professional decide together is best for you. But I was like talking to my mom, talking to my brother, and they were going on and on and on about these purple mattresses like that they both have. They both have a purple mattress. They, If you listen to previous episodes, you'll hear about the purple mattress. They have it. So I wanted to check it out, but I didn't have um, an ability to get the mattress right now. So I got a lot of the accessories. I went to purple.com slash Arlen, A-R-L-A-N, and I bought the soft stretch sheets. And that comes with a fitted sheet, a flat sheet, and two pillowcases. And this is the one that, as the name alludes to, is soft and stretchy. So the soft stretch purple sheets, I ordered that. I ordered two face masks. They're weighted face masks. So I was curious about that. Ordered that for me and my wife. I ordered those weighted comforters. Now, let me tell you this. So two, two and a half years ago, I got a weighted comforter from somewhere else. And I was so excited about it because I understood the whole premise around it. And then I got it and it was so bad. <laughs> it was the the material was so thick and itchy and didn't breathe. And so it was it felt like I was just being like strangled. It, it popped like the material inside of it would make that static electricity thing happen. And you don't want that at night <laughs> when you're t- tossing and turning. You certainly don't want to be uh, elect- slightly electrocuted. <laughs> That doesn't make for an, uh, a calm night's sleep. So I have set my mind that all of these comforters are like that. They just must all be like that. Well, guess what? They're not. I received the purple weighted comforter. I received the purple soft stretch sheets and the pillowcases and the purple weighted masks for sleeping. I received that all recently and have been testing it out. And I have to tell you, Um, Everything that my mom said about the sheets 
has been completely accurate. It's hard to describe, but the sheets are so stretchy that it kind of feels very fresh and open and you feel very, it just feels very brand new. You know, when you wash your sheets on a, on a spring day and you just you get into bed for the first time after washing your sheets and it's the perfect temperature and everything is crisp and this and that, that feeling, but you never get that feeling back really. This is that, but all the time. So that has been just lovely. Now the comforter. So I think they had like three options of weight. I chose the middle one because I didn't really know what to measure it against. And I have to say the middle one is heavy. It's heavy to pick up as a whole to kind of move around the house. And it's heavy on you while you're sleeping. For me, it's been very comfortable. It's been right. It's the, the material is wonderful. It breathes. It's not scratchy. It's soft. It just feels very comforting. So that's kind of where I am right now. I'm still testing it out. My wife and I are still testing out these sheets and these pillowcases and this purple weighted comforter. And we'll keep you posted. But so far, so good. So comfortable. So worth it. <laughs> and I have to now go back and tell my mom and my brother that they were right, uh, which they're going to love. They're just going to love. I know you've been on the edge of your seats wondering how my sleep is. So fear not. Purple.com slash Arlen slash A-R-L-A-N has got you covered, has got, has got me covered. And, uh, you know, stay tuned. I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Welcome back to your first million. This is Arlen. Happy to have you here, as always. This episode is very cool, as they all are, right? <laughs> I'm never not excited to introduce you to a person on this podcast. This is Olin Douglas. I love this one because we got down to the brass tacks of things. You know, we got really into talking about investment and talking about building a fund. Olin runs, he's the managing partner of a venture fund that is $150 million. He is a black man. And because those two things are true, he is somewhat of a unicorn. Uh, he's not the only person who ever do this, but neither am I. And so we know, though, it's like far and few between. And it's always exciting when I when I meet someone who has accomplished so much and is so willing to just give and give and give information and access and wants to collaborate. So this one is going to be really interesting for, for a broad group of people. You'll especially enjoy it if you're in the venture space, just because it's an interesting model. 
if you're in at all um, in school and you are in trying to figure out what type of path you're supposed to take to get you into finance, this is an interesting story as well. And it's just interesting, you know, with a with a fund called the Motley Fool, you know, there's a little bit of wackiness there. So it's it's kind of cool. Yeah, hope you had a great last few days. Ooh, please wear masks and if you can, even gloves. Please wash your hands. Please, please, please. This isn't going anywhere. This COVID-19 isn't going anywhere anytime soon, especially in certain parts of the world. And we need to take care of ourselves and most importantly, take care of each other. So please, please uh, take it seriously and do your research and look beyond what you normally watch. And that means everybody to understand how how much this is affecting people. Think of the nurses and the doctors and the the cleaners and all the orderlies, all types of people in these hospitals. Think of the families who have already lost people. This is not a joke. This is not a hoax. This is not going away anytime soon. But what we can do is we can tamp it down. You know, we can bring it, simmer down now. <laughs> We can bring it back to a manageable place if we all work together. So other than that, I hope you're prospering. If you are um, out of a job or if you're in between jobs or if you're feeling down, I hope that these episodes help get those creative juices going so that you can think of ways to reinvent yourself. I am going to let you go now so you can listen in on this incredible episode. Very, very interesting episode. Please listen to all of it. It gets, uh, it, it takes us to a lot of different places. And I, 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 this is one of my favorites, I have to say. I will see you on the other side and I appreciate you. My name is Olin Douglas. I'm the managing director of Motley Fool Ventures. What is Motley Fool Ventures? Motley Fool Ventures is a venture capital fund. It is a little bit different than uh, most venture capital funds, but for people who don't know what that is, it's basically a structure where we as venture capitalists collect money from high net worth individuals and institutions. We aggregate that money and then we use our uh, investment philosophies to invest it in startups. So basically we get big checks from uh, investors, slice them up into little checks and hand those uh, smaller checks out to startups. And hopefully those startups make tons of money. It comes back to us. We take a little slice off the top <laughs> and send the rest back to the investors. That's, That's right. Capital in a nutshell. It absolutely is. What makes yours, because you said yours is slightly different than other venture capital firms. What makes yours different? Ours is a little bit different. It's a, it's what I would consider a hybrid fund. You generally have two types of funds. You have your traditional venture capital fund that I described, um, where you get money from your investors. And then you have a fund called a corporate VC, where a corporation owns the fund, usually investing their money. And you still do the same uh, dynamic. We are a hybrid because even though we're owned by a corporation, which is the Motley Fool, our parent company, we still get money from outside investors. The vast majority of our money that we're investing comes from outside investors. And so I look at that as we have the best of both worlds. We have the stability of a corporation. We have tons of resources that we can leverage to help us provide services to the startups we invest in. 
But by the same token, we do have investors uh, that provide us the capital that we need to operate. And we do operate independently. We make independent investment decisions and we move very much like a traditional fund. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yes. And a lot of people listening to your first million or perhaps listening inside of a course at some point would be familiar with venture capitalism Mm -hmm. and with the normal structures. But I, the reason I wanted you on, there are many reasons I wanted you here. (laughs) You are unicorn to me (laughs) in, in a couple of ways, but one of them was that that unique structure of how you bring in the capital to then invest in others. Um, And another would be that you are a black man with a fund Venture and venture that is what? What's the size of it so far? One hundred and fifty million. <laughs> One hundred and fifty million, and often, you know, we often talk about on this show and then in just life. I talk about getting more capital to underrepresented, underestimated founders. We talk about general partners uh, at funds who may work at a, a bigger fund like Bain or a Sequoia or, or Andreessen Horowitz. And they, we talk about getting more and more uh, black and brown check writers in these institutions. But I think you've been running under the radar a little bit for some people. Um, and I'm so, so thankful to know you. Can you talk a little bit about, where you see your place in all of this and not necessarily being a black man, but just where do you see your place in venture when you're so different? <laughs> right. And I, I would start with saying that, um, yeah, I've been a black man all my life. All in, That's you right. Know? <laughs> That's right. You know, and, luckily, uh, luckily, exactly, exactly. And I tell people it's in a strange way. I, and, you know, whether this is a video or not, I'm a, a, a darker skinned black uh, person. So there's never been any confusion about me being a black person. And then I, uh, I open my mouth and people tell me it takes them about two seconds to realize I'm an American. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason, you know, I, I really haven't had that even the possibility of being something other than I am my, my whole life. Right. Um, and so, and that does play into several things. And when it comes to venture capital, it's another story of to the extent that $150 million fund of success is one of those 10 year. I was a, uh, in finance, the chief financial officer of the Motley Fool about 10 years ago. And we did a restructuring of a, of a company Inside of the Motley Pool, we sold it off. We man- structured a management buyout, and we held on to a minority investment in that company. Mm. And so I kind of backed into the, you know, that venture capital world a little bit. That whole process worked out really well for the company and got us thinking about, hey, maybe we should try this. So this was back in 2008, 2009, whatever. And just over the years, getting the permission to invest $25,000 here, $50,000 there, $100,000 here over the years, right? And just trying. like at Backstage Capital. I <laughs> <Right>. hear you. <laughs> yes, I just so did it all behind It's the exciting scenes. to hear the, how, it, how it evolves. Right. So it's behind the scenes. You don't see that um, kind of thing. But we did that in, uh, didn't invest in a ton of companies, maybe eight or 10 companies over that span of, of those times. But we did reasonably well. We had a couple of exits. We had a nice uh, return for the parent company. And just as the Motley Fool decided to expand, I kind of proposed the idea of maybe let's try to launch 
a venture fund to see if we could do this at a much larger scale. Mm-hmm. Talk about a little bit about Motley Fool, the the main company. What is its intention and, and what is what is its history? Yeah, so the history of the Motley Fool, uh, and I'll start with the name. It's a reference to a, a Shakespearean play, As You Like It. And then the character is a jester, and the, the jester is called the fool. The whole idea behind the Motley Fool is that it's the person that is able to tell the king the truth without getting his head chopped off. And so the Motley Fool was started back in the uh, mid-90s. And back then, the standard mantra, there was no Robin Hood. It was very difficult for individuals to invest in Wall Street. And Wall Street was telling you, this is a game of professionals. You want to invest in Wall Street, you need a professional. You need to pay a broker big commissions. And I bought my first stock, I paid $50 in commission as opposed to zero today. Just how much things have changed. And the Motley Pool uh, basically said, I don't think so. I think Anybody can do this. You just have to look at things a little bit differently. So they launched, they said, we're going to talk about stocks. We're going to teach you how to invest and we're going to have fun and we're going to, you know, make it a little bit light and it's silly guys with the just a cap and started this movement of really making personal finance accessible, accessible to audiences. And they've been doing that for, for 27 years now, but that ethos of Let's do things a little bit different. You know, let's not be deterred by the institution telling us that we can't do things. And let's kind of have a little bit of fun doing the things we do. That's, those are some of the uh, elements that I tried to bring into the uh, venture fund as well. Yeah, it sounds like we're the backstage might be the, the younger version of exactly what you're doing. Oh, yeah. When did you join Motley Fool if they've been around for 27 years? I joined in 2001 right as the uh, internet bubble was burst. I've been here almost 19 years. Uh, funny story, the second day at a job, I had to get in front of the uh, company and tell them they had too many people. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and, we, and that started about a nine month period of us going from over 400 people to under 100. Um, really difficult times. What was your role when you first came in? Head of financial planning and analysis. And they're really looking at, and it really speaks to the company. I mean, it's it's a, a true story, but the story behind the story, which is what this show is about, you can't walk into a place in on day two be ready to li- deliver that kind of message unless the people there are committed to helping you, right? So that's that's the part I saw. I was like, wow, here's a stranger coming in, got to deliver this difficult message, and people stepped up to make sure that I can, mm. you know, be prepared to do that thing. And when did you say that you broke off the Venture. ventures part? In 2018. So, okay. Uh, I, was a, I was a CFO at Montefiore. Like a few years after we joined, I mean, four or five, I became the CFO. I was that for 14 years, and then 2018, moved over to do the venture fund. And uh, yeah. the two co-founders gave me like very odd, but specific instructions for the fund. One co-founder said, look, this is exciting. I'll be LP number one. I just have one requirement. I said, oh, well, like, what's that? He said, well, I want to have fun. Okay. We need to meet these people. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I want to take him seriously. And the other one, you know, pushed me, part of me. He said, you can do this. He had a couple more conditions, but one of them is that this has to be different. You can't just launch fund number 646. I think I looked at it, it was like 645 venture funds. He said, the last thing I want the Motley Fool to do is launch cookie cutter fund number 646. He just mm. didn't want to do that. Hey, it's Arlen. I just wanted to pop in just for a second to thank all of you who have picked up my new book, It's About Damn Time. It came out May 5th, 2020. 
And you all have just shown it so much love. Um, I am getting every single day. I get all kinds of messages from you. I get all kinds of posts on social and it is just, it's so wonderful and beautiful to me. Thank you so much. Uh, this is a book that I wish was out 10 years ago and I wrote this book for you. And I thank you so much for picking up It's About Damn Time, uh, picking it up at Amazon, at indie bookstores, at itsaboutdamntime.com, and just reading it, getting so much from it, and then sharing it. The word of mouth sales on this book have just been wonderful and humbling and make me feel very, very excited and warm and fuzzy. So please keep it up. The price of the book has gone down because of the sales have gone up, which is really, really cool. So now it's a better time than ever to grab a gift for your friend, family member, coworker, um, mentor or mentee. Get this book in front of someone who is figuring out what their next step is or who's made it far but really needs another kick or who feels like they don't have much to offer the world because There's no way you can read this book and feel like that afterwards. It's about damn time. Arlen Hamilton, pick it up if you haven't already. Thank you. So we'll get into the types of things that you all do that are fun and different. (laughs) I want to also establish that another way that you all are different is that you have more LPs than most, than any that I've seen. Any. What is uh, it? Maybe one other fund I saw a few years ago that was doing a general solicitation that had about two thousand LPs, probably in the ten thousand to a hundred thousand range. But yours is eight hundred or so yeah, LPs. Yeah, yeah. And that's the difference. That I would love to figure out who it was. When we were doing it, we talked to several people, and everyone told us, "Don't do it. Don't even, <laughs> don't even try it." But it seemed to me that the, the typical path for launching a fund, going to institutions, trying to talk to them about it. It just didn't seem like it was going to yield. <laughs> right. It didn't seem plausible or reasonable at the time. Right. Yeah. And, and it's something that I found with a lot of uh, a lot of the uh, people who are inside venture capital, especially the you know African-Americans, even women and the people of color, they've had to do non-traditional routes because it's clear that the traditional route is not working. And so for us, I said, well, what is it that we have? What is the asset that we have? And I kept looking and every time... I saw it. It wasn't unusual that some everybody who's launched a fund has something that they leverage to their advantage and um, to help them move forward. And often it's the connections they have, some relationships, whatever. And I was like, what is our advantage? And I'm like, well, the only thing I have is my advantage is this huge community of people that the Motley Pool has been serving for a couple of decades, helping make them money in the private in the public markets for all this time. And I said, what if we embrace a philosophy with that we're going to invest in the private markets the same way that we invest in the public markets. So I can speak to them in a language they know. And the, the other one was instead of trying to find three or four institutions to write big checks and then keep them on the side, and this goes to what you're doing, Arlen, which I'm very impressed by, and you know, I'm a fan of yours, I'll say <laughs> that, is let's turn that model upside down and get little checks from a lot of people. And instead of keeping them to the side, Let's bring them in. Let's create a venture capital community and let's do this thing together. And yeah. um, 
that's what we tried. And, then and the just, reason mm-hmm. the reason a lot of funds don't do this is because it is a different type of uh, setup mm-hmm. formation. It's a it's a general solicitation fund, which means there's more red tape. There's more transparency. A few things that most funds who can go to these institutions or want to dare to, they don't want all that extra work or, or, or attention on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. What are a couple of things in that vein of being fun and also being more transparent. What, how do you manage 800 plus LPs at once? Is something that you, some tech that you built at scale or do you, how do you manage it? Yeah, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a little bit of a technical aspect on how we market it to them. It was a, a largely a digital marketing um, effort, but the reality is our secret sauce. And this is, you know, what I see you doing as well as our community. I mean, the Motley Fool, um, 27 years, we've kind of had three kind of taglines, educate, the muse, and the rich, which was probably 25 of those years or 20 of those years. <laughs> then we went, uh, help the world invest better for a few years. And now we're at smarter, happier, richer, right? So, and those are taglines, but they aren't just here. There's really a kind of a philosophy on how we look at the world. So we're constantly trying to attract people who believe in that philosophy. And when you have a bunch of aligned people, you bring them together. And this is the thing that's really different from other funds. Every single person in my fund is either a subscriber to the Motley Pool service or was invited by the subscriber. I, mm-hmm. I feel like to say I have, I have 800 friends in the yeah. fund. It's like, a, it's like a family reunion. And so like, how can you have a big family reunion? Because we're all family, right? And so yeah. I'm, I'm not, I don't have to manage them as well as it's just kind of getting to know them, talking about them, reinforcing the messages that we all believe in. We are... We're not an impact fund, but we definitely is a, a message driven kind of fund to what we're doing. Um, yeah. You know, make this make your portfolio reflect your best vision for our future. That's what we kind of align around. What types of companies do you then invest in? Mm-hmm. And I would imagine something to do with fintech would probably be one of the things, sure. but it might be wrong. And then what size investments do you tend to make? Yeah, so our investment scope, again, we do fintech largely because we understand it, you know, with our background, but we're not there to be a research arm for the parent company. There's some overlaps sometimes, but for us, we think that kind of tech-enabled services and technology is going to be critical to the future. So we look for companies that are using technology to deliver scale, efficiency, or access, and it, it goes across lots of categories. Um, we kind of don't do certain things. We don't do biotech. We don't do cybersecurity. We don't do the hard sciences. But they're just things that I'm just not smart enough to really understand, <laughs> which is why we don't do them. But uh, trying to that makes you, know, you a genius, try, then trying right? to stay in, <laughs> trying to stay inside our lane <laughs> a little yes. bit. And then for check sizes, um, it's interesting because at 150 million dollars, you know, it's hard to invest at. $10,000 at a time, I'll die before I'm done, right? We're, we're looking to invest in 40 to 50 companies with that fund. So our minimum check size is a half a million. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have written up to 5 million as an initial check and we can put up to total $15 million into a single company. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to our philosophy. When we invest, we often will build a position over time because we're looking, we're most comfortable in long-term relationships. You know? <laughs> and so when we invest in a company, we make it clear that we try to set those entrepreneurs up for success and with clarity over what they can expect from us. And we look to be participating in two or three rounds at least. And you know, our hope is that they outgrow us before mm-hmm. we stop <laughs> putting money in. 
Hey, I'll let you go back just a second. Um, Backstagecrowd.com, people have been asking me how it works. It's an investing syndicate. So uh, we have two tracks. One track is if you're non-accredited, you can uh, invest as little as $100 into deals that we're working on that are on different platforms that already exist. Those are really, really amazing and a lot of fun. We've had a lot of fun with that. If you are accredited, meaning that you make 200000 or more in uh, a year or a million dollars you have that like under management or as an asset, you are considered accredited in the United States. And either way, you can, um, you can sign up to BackstageCrowd.com. We'll help you figure out how to test that. If you're a little bit unsure, just fill out the quick form and we'll help you and look for an email from us right after you fill it out. But we're, we're off to the races, man. You got to check this out. We did our first deal, like I mentioned earlier, and we're going into our second one right away. The appetite is out of this world and we've got deal flow. We've got deal flow. So it's exciting. I want you to check it out. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to come to me in a couple of years and be like, Ireland, why didn't you let me into that deal? I'm letting you into that deal right now. So I'll let you get back to the episode. But definitely click over to BackstageCrowd.com and I will see you there. Do you have a rolling LP investment? Like do people listening right now, they're like, that's interesting. I'd like to be an LP in that. Is it something still open or is it closed out for a fund? It's it's closed out for a fund. I'll say that. I'll stop right there. You stop right there. I got you. And, you know, the reason we're, again, I want to repeat, the reason we're able to even ask that question and answer that question is because it's a general solicitation fund. A lot of times, most 99% of the time, it is not so. Backstage happens to be general solicitation. That's great. We have the ability, because I talk so much, <laughs> our, our legal team said, uh-uh, you are not going out there any other way, uh, starting with our our fourth fund. And they're all micro, micro funds. So mm-hmm. we we really got, you know, starting about two years ago, two and a half years ago, we started doing that and forming all of our funds that way uh, to have the conversation. And we just recently launched BackstageCrowd.com, which is our syndicate to raise one company at a time. Mm-hmm. So the first I can say this, I can't tell you what the company was for the first accredited one, but I can tell you that in the first nine days, it raised $300,000 because of listeners and, and others. And I just, it is such a, it changes the di- the power dynamics in such a meaningful way. So every everything you're saying to me really resonates. Mm-hmm. And I want to learn a lot from you and hopefully be helpful mm-hmm. in any way. There's probably someone here listening saying, well, how did you even get into this business to begin with 2001 what what set you up to be in a position to to join this company a i know you said earlier that you're from that you live in the dc area this is where you work out of is that where you grew up oh uh, yeah so I, I grew up in baltimore maryland um so can kind of just north of uh, the dc area and for me the the path to this really started with kind of accounting i've always loved money and not just the acquisition of money, but just understanding money, right? Um, That's always been an interest of mine. And it's really having that accounting background, which I chose. I went to college. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be an accountant, but from all the research that I saw, I knew that accounting opened up more doors than any other business major, right? Everywhere I look, I see people need an accountant, right? And Back in the day, you know, you're very interested in having a job. So I want to make sure I can always have a job. So I'm going to be an accountant and let's see where that takes me. But it's interesting when I found The Motley Fool, it was by accident. I was actually looking 
because I'll make the story. It's long as I make it short. I was just looking to donate for a charity. I read an article on The Motley Fool when I wasn't there about how to be safe to charity to make sure that your money is going to the cause and not just to line the pockets because there had been some charity scandals. I chose the Black, uh, it was a Black Caucus, which is a charity in Baltimore. I go mm-hmm. to the Black Caucus website. I'm looking to see what jobs they have open just to check to see if they're looking for a new foundation director or just some terminal. And lo and behold, I see an ad from the Motley Fool looking for a financial analyst. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know why it's interesting to me at first blush is because 20 years ago, Motley Fool had the the sense, the, the good sense to advertise everywhere yeah. and not just limit it. When we talk about 20 years later, people are saying they don't know where to hire black yeah. people. Yeah. That's so interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, so I found it. I applied and then it turns out that they were doing a radio show and they had a radio show in Baltimore that weekend. And I was, I didn't have a lot of money then. They were doing a radio show to close out the convention. And so I didn't register for the convention. I waited until four o'clock on the last day and I just walked in. And of course, everyone shut down. So I got to walk in for free and I just watched them do the radio show live. And I said, I want to see how these guys act when they're off camera. Right. And, um, because this is even again, because you know you get the two two different personas, and then you know went to commercial. The cameras went down. They came up to talk to the audience and said, uh, "Hold on, I want to bring out one of my producers." They brought the producer out and said, "Here's our producer. Here's so and so. Today's his birthday. Let's sing happy birthday to him." And his mom and dad in the audience. Let's do that. And I was like, "Wow, man, these guys are even nicer off screen than on screen." You know, mm. and it just kind of uh, started that uh, relationship. But yeah, it was accounting that got me into this and then following the money being the cfo the motley fool itself was a venture-backed company and you know for those people who know venture firms um softbank was an investor in the motley fool Uh, mayfield was an investor mavron was an investor so some of those silicon Mm -hmm. valley firms that uh that were going on back um and they were early investors in the motley fool and that really that was really my first exposure to, to venture capital was working at a VC-backed company. And that's one of the things that's so exciting about seeing you all in and some of the other folks. And geez, I was like 30 years old before I even knew that venture capital exists, you know, let alone. Uh, uh, literally the same. <laughs> 30 <laughs> until I knew it existed. <laughs> yeah. And that's got to change, right? If we want, if we want representation, we can't be so far back, three decades back and just even knowing that this industry exists, let alone how to get mm. into it. Mm. Um, Can you speak a little bit more to that? I think we're going to hit on something that's really interesting I always say, if you can bootstrap, bootstrap. If you can hold on to as much equity as possible, please do that. Because people sort of, they skip all the in-between when they see the one story on TechCrunch. But for people outside of this industry who might be wondering why I even care enough to put a footing in venture capital of all things, can you speak to more of the importance of the representation there? Sure. The representation is critical. Here's a, here's a little stat I just did. Of the 10 most valuable companies in the world, seven of them were venture capital backed. And the three that weren't were actually created before venture capital existed. <laughs> so mm. since the existence of venture capital. So 100% of the ones that could be. <laughs> the seven, and the top five, Apple, Amazon, Facebook. Google. Uh, Google. And uh, geez, I can't remember the other one, but um, they're all critical I mean, these, these are the companies that are, are driving the industries. And here's another fun fact for you. So 
uh, Apple has a market cap of $1.5 trillion. Mm-hmm. There's 12 zeros. Mm-hmm. A trillion dollars, Arlen. How would you like for me to give you a million dollars a day for a million days? I'll take it. That's a trillion dollars. And that is also, uh, I think that's um, 2,700 years. So you have to kind of mm-hmm. put in your state plan <laughs> for the next yeah, you know, well, that's... 270 generations. And so why is it it's important for us to, to have the ability to re- reach those heights, yeah, right? To, to at least have... Yeah, to change the world. I mean, it's, it's venture capital is that is that avenue to help people create that generational wealth to be part of shaping what this world is going to look like. And if we can't get a seat at the table and how we shape this world, we're going to continue to have, you know, looking at videos where of public executions and wondering what happened. It's like what happened is that we aren't controlling the economic resources to to make sure these things don't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said recently, and uh, I can't remember which which interview, but I said if there was more, uh, pretty much what you just said. I said if there is more uh, economic uh, equality, we would not have just watched a man for the umpteenth time uh, get murdered on television. Yeah. You know, it just wouldn't have happened. But it does speak to because I I think about it. You know, a lot of people. I know I'm being a little self-centered here, but uh, I I do because I think that you're the perfect person to help me explain this better than I have, which is a lot of people say, well, you weren't the first black venture capitalist, you know, and you're out there and your face is everywhere. And I say, you know, it's interesting because I'll talk to people from all walks of life and, and kind of be a bridge to them understanding this. And it's not for them to know me, but it's to give them some sense of what's going on and kind of be that bridge you just very eloquently stated the importance of the two it is life and death at the end of the day it is and you might not think of that at this point you might think it's just someone saying well i i deserve just as much money as this next person it really resonates much much deeper than that it does it does and to your point i mean i think that um it's 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 difficult it's it's part of our just kind of overall kind of american culture you want to celebrate the first you want to celebrate but uh there's so much that has to be done that it kind of doesn't matter you know uh-huh. um, you, know, 100%. You, you have an investor network, you know, and I think it's wonderful. I know the company you're talking about. I celebrate your success. We're thinking about launching an investor network. And the way yeah. I look at what you're doing and what we're doing, I see ways where we can work together to make one plus one equals three. You know, mm-hmm. there is there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's a lot of money. And the beauty of what being in finance is that when you make your clients more money, you make more money. Right. And it just yes. kind of builds upon itself. We do not have to fight over the crumbs in venture capital or, or anything else. We can we can work together. We can uplift each other. We can win together. Um, I'm going to pause this for a second. I know my lovely editor, my wife, will help me take some of this time out. But I wanted to show you something. So what I'm doing is showing Olin my book. This is the cover. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. It's about damn time. Okay. And then... This is a chapter 25. Tell me what it, can you read out loud what it's called? Your book is called, I Came for the Cake, Not the Crumbs. You see? I like it. I that's like chapter it. 25 in the book. I love it. I love it. 
we, we're not we're not accepting that any longer, are we? <laughs> and I, I definitely look forward to, to working with you more. I agree 100 percent. As we start to wrap up, t- tell us a little bit about what's next. I know you're having fun and you're kind of the you're kind of even though you've been around for 20 years, you're kind of new kid on the block at Motley yeah. Fool because you're two years into this, two and a half years into it. What happens next? Yeah, and, and you're right. I do. I feel very much like a new kid on the block. I tell people all my friends are bankers and lawyers, <laughs> you know, and so this venture capital world is new. I mean, it's very, very new to me. Um, but I would say what's next for me just thinking about what's happening in society, really, in the George Floyd incident and so many others, I quite honestly have just been rethinking the role that I can can play. And, you know, I've always been someone who wanted to let my actions speak for me, right? To be a, to be a good role model, to make sure when people interacted with me that I could break that narrative of what it means to be a, a Black person, right? And... I, I begin to, this whole situation begin to make me rethink that a little bit. And I think that I'm definitely a huge fan of actions and we need actions, but, but I think there's a place for words also. And there's a, a, a place for showing by example, but those examples can be what you say as well as what you do and, and how you interact with the, the community and the ecosystem and how you leverage your voice and your platform to um, uplift more people. So I've been, I've been thinking a lot more about, what more can I do from the position I am and with the platform I'm in to just help everyone more, you know, and someone mentioned to me, said, well, you have to be careful. And cause you start to do that. That means, you know, people like you, you may get knocked down a couple of notches. And I'm, you know, and I thought about that and I'd say, well, you know, I have to come down a couple of notches to move a lot of more people up a few. I think that's the trade off that I'm happy to make. So we're going to see if we can make a difference for more people. Well, you are a soundbite dream because <laughs> we're going to end there. <laughs> we began there. We're going to end there. I really appreciate your time. And I just love this story. I know so many people are going to resonate with that. I will ask you if anybody is interested in like any sort of social or social platform that you're on or any kind of blogs that you keep. Do you have any way for people to reach you or to keep up with you? I have not, not, not in any real sense now. That's no, that's part of that plan to kind of get out there. Yes. I mean, we have, we, I have the accounts open, but I don't, yes. I don't know about it, but I have to. Do you have LinkedIn? Do you, more do you, LinkedIn. You're on LinkedIn. So people can look for Olin Douglas on LinkedIn. If yeah. they're, if they're enterprising, they can reach you. If not, they can at least, you know, see more about right. you. And I know one day you're going to, I'm going to pop, wake up, wake up to you on Instagram or on TikTok. You're going to be on TikTok dancing, <laughs> flossing, whatever it is. Oh. But yeah, you put in the work. Appreciate you. And I will definitely see you out there uh, at the investment table. Yes, I do. And, we, and I'm looking forward to working uh, more with everybody in the community and especially with you all. And we're going to make it happen. We're going to we're going to do some deals together. I'm thinking about what that means. Even when you're investing in different stages, there's still a way to do things together. We're going to make it work. Love it. Right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Arlen. Thanks for listening to this episode. So I would love to keep up with you online. You can find me at Arlen was here on Instagram and on Twitter. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with you. This episode has been brought to you by purple.com for all your mattress needs. 
check out their sheets, their duvets, their pillows. And if you are really needing a more comfortable sleep, get that mattress delivered. Your First Million is produced by Anna Aikinoa, executive producer Arlen Hamilton, associate producer Chacho Valadez. 